Welcome to a new episode of the City Gents. You got me with a drink today. But I know it's different. It's different. But uh, you got me, the primary host, along with my other. There you go host. with that. Again. My other primary host. No, no, no. Bruh. I respect. I, I I will put primary host on your name. I will respect. respect <laughs> You're not starting off all well. We haven't even introduced yet, and y'all. I, I just want to put respect on the man's name. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I'm still not giving him that title king. If he wants to be king, he can call himself that. But this king, Javon. We got my co-host here. Uh Santiago. Como se uh, here got a little bit of the Spanish. We'll yeah, it. you know, I'll be trying. I'm gonna try to do more, but we'll we'll go. But go ahead. You were saying I interrupted you. My bad, Javon. Oh, here we go. All right. <laughs> and then we have Sheree, um, our special guest today. Um, Sheree has a great story um, that we're going to really enjoy hearing. Definitely. Um, let me get it started by, you already seen there was some tension in the air here, you know, between Santiago and, and Sheree. So let, let's just get to it. Let's just get to the episode. Let's get us gloves are off or on, whatever you pick. Yeah, let's, 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 let's get down to it. I'm going to try to facilitate this, listeners and viewers, but it, it's, I, I'm going to do my best. <laughs> it's going to go the way it's going to go, and it's going to go. <laughs> so we had a um, Sheree, a very avid listener. Um, yes. Always listening. We really appreciate you. Agreed. We do. We do. So we know, we know that you did not find some of Patrick's statements um, between King and Queen be the most accurate in your opinion. And you may have had some other episodes where you may not found his uh, statements the most accurate. So that's the proper way of saying it. <laughs> um, so we want you to, we wanted to have you on to be able to talk about some of those things as well as other things. So I'm gonna just let you talk about some of the things that you didn't agree with. Well, yes, I've been listening to the show. I really enjoy it. And, you know, Patrick, you have such a great personality on the show. But, you know, I was with Courtney, my fellow female. On it, I, I heard a little bit when you said that everyone can't be kings and queens. And it, it made me reflect on... When you said that, were you talking about that people just have to grow into that potential or more so uh, were you saying that your standard for king and what you are as a king, some people can't reach that level even though they might be a king in their own right in a different way. So for instance, me and my sister who is only 15 months apart, we're both queens but she a queen and her, you know, way she likes to be out into the current scene of black culture and urban life um, where I'm more into academia, you know, the wine, the jazz, and we both queens in our own rights. We just do it differently. So I just, I kind of disagree with you. And I also thought about one theory that you also talked about, which was, you know, in under, uh, other countries, people are not born into king and queen. Actually, in history, there are some kings and queens that are born with that title, but until they develop as adults, they have a council that is advising them until they're of age, but they still were kings and queens. 
So Okay, I like her. She came out with the haymakers. I like her. I like her. Um so what I was saying in that episode and I'm a, I'm 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 a double down is that everyone can't be a king or queen if they're doing the same thing as the village as everybody else in the village. And what I mean by that is if everybody is just using the term king and queen loosely because that's what it's became. Uh, king and queen is supposed to is supposed to uh, distinguish from royalty, which means separate from everyone else. So if you call a person a king for this and a king for that and a queen for that, everybody can't have that title. People have the potential to definitely have that title for sure, but everybody can't have that title if they're doing the same thing. And what I mean by the same thing is they're not doing anything that distinguishes them from the masses. And with society today, we're so easily to, you know, either self-gratification or these participation medals or whatever. We're so easy to call ourselves king or queens when we haven't earned that right. For instance, like going to what you said, um, and maybe I didn't make my point clear. What I meant by people not born into king and queens is they aren't born a king and queen. They're not. They develop into it, like you said so elegantly yourself. Um, but in order to that, they have to go through certain trying things or trials or whatever. It's different for different tribes and different cultures. It's different. So in, in order for that to happen, in order for them to develop, they have to go through growing pains and they have to go through different stages of their life to be called a king or queen. They're not instantly a king or queen. They're a duchess, a prince, a princess. They have to, to develop that level. It's like when I, I'm a, uh, you, I hate using analogies too much, but I'm gonna use an analogy where if you see yourself as a CEO of a company, nine times out of 10, unless you start your own company, you're not gonna start at that level. Does that mean you never can be there? Hell no. But you have to go through certain trials and you know tribulations and different things in order to be able to be successful at that level. So for me, I think that term is used too loosely now for people who aren't doing anything with their lives. You can't call yourself a queen if you, and I get it, you know, things happen. And that's why I made sure to say king or queen. You can't call yourself a queen if you're behind on all your bills and you're spending money frivolously on stupid stuff or you're doing it. You're not doing what you're supposed to. You can't call yourself a king if you're not there for your kids. So for me, I still stand behind that, that everybody isn't a king or queen because that is a dignified term for royalty to distinguish themselves from everybody else. So that's, that's where I'm at with it. And I know that King Javon also, you know, had a rebuttal when I talked to him about this offline. Yeah. But I would ar argue about, so why the term even is in our culture right now, the whole point is to motivate folks to become a king and queen or to grow into qualities where they definitely. are over their kingdom. And in COVID-19, I will definitely not tell a single mother of one, two, three kids who is going check the check and just got, you know, a bill that she couldn't pay her rent, that she isn't a queen. She's slaving. She is over her 
queendom. Which you know is, what I'm saying? Yeah, so which I is why I have to be very mindful of thinking about is it us saying like you can't be a queen or queen because you don't have XYZ? Or can we just say like for me, this is my standard, but I understand where we all are aspiring to be, to wear our, our crowns and be able to lead in our own lives. Yeah, and that's why I said, I, I specify people who aren't spending their money, they have money, but they're not, they're spending it frivolously. Because I understand that people, especially during this time, aren't able to do some of the same things that they've done before. So I recognize that. But I still stand behind where we have to be careful if we are setting a, a tone for King and Queen at such a low bar to reach that people believe they reach that from simply something that's very rudimentary in nature, very like, you know, what you're supposed to be doing. So that my comments for that was just to strive for us to do more and want to be more which is why towards the end of the episode, I did specify saying everybody has the potential to do that. Because who am I to tell somebody, hey, yo, you have never, you never have the potential to be a queen or king. I would never, especially as a black man myself, would never tell another black person or any person of color that. But what I will do is show them tough love to make them want to be more because that's what was shown to me, not just with my parents, but with my uncle and family, I did not have things easy on me. And first, I never understood that. I'm like, yo, like I'm trying here. I'm really trying. But now that I understand a lot more and I've matured in different ways, I get it. And, you know, my comments can definitely be a little hard to digest. It's almost like digesting a steak dinner at times. But it's all out of love. It's never from a place of, you know, a malicious intent. Or anything. It's just because I want us to, when you hear King of Queens, it's not just because you're doing something so simplistic. It's because you're putting yourself at a higher level. That's all I want for my people. And I think we can inspire folks by starting with those terms so that they can be motivated to find that in themselves because maybe they don't recognize that in themselves initially, right? So right. I work in higher education, um, starting with as young as 16 year olds to as old as 50 and 60. And I call my African-American students king and queen. Why? Because sometimes life has beaten them down in the classroom or in internships or anything like that, where they think less of themselves. But I'm saying mm. king or queen to let them know, I see that in you right already um just adjust the way that you are holding up your crown by lowering your head and making someone speak negativity into you or you be um taken um aback by the hardships of ruling your kingdom <laughs> and finding a place in it but understanding that even though you might not call yourself that i still see it in you it isn't even a potential i see it so i'm gonna call you it so that the bar is already set. I'm setting the bar at this is where King Queen is. This is high. You're already there, but can you see yourself there? So you can start to act that way. So it's not even about the potential. You're already there. Queen J King Javon, are, are you? You look intrigued. Yeah, yeah, you do look intrigued, bro. But now, see, with, with kids, I get it. I'm more pertaining to adults who 
like I said, I see that term used very loosely. And I think I actually agree with you on that because there's a lot of um, people of color, black people specifically who have been beaten down by different ways, whether it's by their own family, whether it's by their family and then their school system and then the government, it, it, it's just a, 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 a endless cycle to the point to where you get of age to really identify yourself. And I feel like part of that is because a lot of us, and as I mentioned in that same episode, we don't know our, our identity. So I, I recognize that part of it. And those weren't where my comments were meant. They were meant for people who call themselves that and aren't doing anything outside of the village. If you're not doing something to strengthen your kingdom or strengthen the black community, you really can't call yourself that because you're you're hurting us and you're hurting, you're wounding somebody or you're wounding a people that's been wounded for centuries. And that's more where my comments were. It was directed to a specific type of people. And I could have been more clear. I definitely could have. I definitely could have, but I like having you on here um, because there is a new perspective that I didn't look at and it was with kids because I work with kids as well, like in children's ministry and stuff like that at my old church in, in Chicago. And I would always uplift them by calling them some, even if they didn't think they were that. So I definitely understand where you're coming from with that. Um, so, you know, you kind of changed my perspective a little bit with that, a little bit, definitely when it comes to our children, because our youth are our future. And those, those are some of the, there's, their minds are so malleable. And when you have, you know, different things as far as, uh, even when it comes to entertainment, you know, Black women, despite the fact that they hold the most advanced degrees as any group of people in America. Yes, we do. They are looked at as just sexual objects still. And, or they looked at because their hair is this way, they looked at this, or they looked at that way. Our black men, even the, no matter the stronger ones, are looked at poorly. They're, they're looked at very poorly, not only by the black community themselves, but by other people. If you if you're a strong black man, they consider you angry and hostile. No matter how you convey, how you uh, present yourself, and I know this because this has happened to me. No matter how you could say all types of words with four or five syllables, or you can cuss them out, it doesn't matter. You're an angry black man, and especially if you're over six feet and, and you're you're just built well and you articulate yourself. It doesn't matter what matter you do that. You just look that angry. So my frustration with uh, our own community comes from more the people calling themselves that who are destroying our community. And that's where more of my comments were towards. Okay. All right. I appreciate it, both of y'all. I think that was a great uh, dialogue, especially to start us off, because honestly, um, sometimes I know that I, and I talked to you offline about this, Cherie, and I know Santiago got to talk to you today, and we all kind of got to hear each other's perspective and it does resonate you know what I mean because I was kind of 
10 toes down, as they say, like about like not everybody, but like when it comes to like kids, uh, people that are in those uh, malleable mindsets or those folks that are in those early development, those do need that motivation and those things like that. So that does help me open up. So going on to you, you touched on that you're in higher education. So what do you do? Like, what, yeah. what, what is your role? What do you do? Like, tell us about it. So I've been in higher education administration for going on 13 years. And in my current role, I serve as a director of diversity, which essentially means that I'm the senior diversity officer at the institution for students um, at a small Christian institution on the north side of Chicago. Um, I not only serve our students, but for instance, today, the president just sent out a communicate to the community, um, letting them know about a diversity uh, two-fold initiative that I'll be leading um, for faculty, staff, and students. So I oversee the climate of the campus, making sure that uh, we are looking at matters of diversity, equity, and inclusion for our students and staff that we're living up to our mission to be intentionally intercultural. Ooh, that was bad. Um, and I do that with faculty and staff. So I'm not only just doing programming and events to educate our students on these topics, but I'm also looking at academic curriculum. Um, so the difference between you just throwing an article of a black author or scientists in there versus a book. Um, or a two, three series lecture on that um, particular aspect? Or does your curriculum have um, a overarching methodology that really looks at diversity, equity, inclusion, um, a part of your learning outcomes? Uh, I serve as the NCAA um, representative to our athletics teams. Um, so reaching out African-American males that are, um, you know, have anything from social issues to academic issues. Um, we had a student day that just lost his stepfather to COVID, so we're going to be reaching out to him, but also letting them know that we're about them on and off the court, uh, so I do a lot of work um, there, uh, but I, I've been in higher education for a while. I've done now diversity in this role, academic advising, um, student conduct is my niche, um, so uh, I love policy and procedures. I've done uh, retention and persistence, making sure our students get the graduation, uh, transfer services. Uh, so I'm a jack of all cards. I can do it all, but I do it all with excellence. So I don't just do random stuff, but I've, I've loved higher education, been doing it since um, my undergrad. Awesome. So you uh, touched a little bit on, you said that your, your niche is um, policies and everything like that. What are some policies that you've implemented to kind of, you know, help with diversity and stuff uh, in your role? Um, so I talk about the smallest one, which was we had a student last year that got turned down from one of our arts departments for not being able to do her a senior exhibit in our office. Uh, she wanted to pay homage to our African-American culture. Um, however, they were mandating her. I was able to work with the School of Arts and Sciences and Music to make sure that any student um, that is doing a art senior portfolio, whether that's 
visual arts, performing arts can do it at any uh, place in the institution. So that could be in our university chapel, that could be yeah. in my office, in the Office of Diversity and Intercultural Life, uh, that could be in a student center. It shouldn't just be obligated to one place and then making sure that the student and the teacher works with um, each other to get that purple work in. And so that's a formal curriculum aspect. Um, what I'm about to implement uh, probably will be the biggest thing. It's a six-fold, well, it's a six-part measure uh, going up for five years to look at six different aspects of diversity in the institution. So looking at population, power, participation, um, looking at narrative and solidarity of how we can really make these things purposeful in creating a culture and an academic um, framework for the institution. Now we'll go into our strategic plan, which the strategic plan actually is the plan for the entire university to follow for five years. So for me to only be a year in my job and to have the president put that plan in place in a strategic plan is pretty awesome. Um, that will have, mm. um, we're doing focus groups and a lot of different research to make sure that um, our students and our employees are able to speak into the strategies that we are going to use um, to get to those different measures. We then are going to uh, analyze them to make sure that we have gotten there or where are our gaps and where do we need to go. Um, we're going to be doing a lot of different reports on each uh, different uh, aspect that we're going to implement. And we're not only looking at that um, in the academics of curriculum, but also looking at hiring practices uh, for our faculty and our staff. Yeah. We're going to be looking at recruitment policies for our students. We're going to be looking at um, what else? Uh, money and our donors, our alumni involvement. So it's really going to span across the whole institution. Um, and then a couple of things I put together in the past is um, I'm, I oversaw at um, a Big Ten institution, um, a program that allowed the provisional African-American program to stop being, um, they were receiving student conduct um, violations at the beginning of the program, which meant they would be kicked out of school. Right. Right. <laughs> um, because yeah. for summer, you basically couldn't have any student conduct uh, happenings. And so if they got one thing, it could be a noise violation of marijuana, they would get kicked out from the program, which meant their potential opportunity at the institution was gone. So right. I started working with that program to do education um, to those students so they understood the rules uh, and um, responsibilities of the institution. All those cases from the students in that cohort would come to me. Um, so we would determine and work with the programs and the students and acad um, academics on do we really need to kick this student out or is this just a I'm a young moment, you know. Yeah, right. So that really was able to shape that program to, uh, to increase the retention of those students at the institution. Because as we all know, no matter if you go to a, a HBUC or if you go to a PWI, um, African-American students are going to be at risk. They're, they're going to have struggles Except, in yeah. their retention. And so it's like student conduct where our students just like that, you know, can get their whole liberty of, you know, not being able to attend an institution that they either got in due to whatever rule policy, um, of, uh, affirmative action, whatever, you know, they're there and they, they trying to seek this opportunity, but student conduct just got them out. And so that was a policy that I was able to implement to affect diversity. So those are just the 
a couple of things, but those are the major just, ones. Just something <laughs> slight. Just something, you know, just something slight. You know, I, I am. Hey, I Little stuff, little stuff. Just, just little. But um, I have a, a you know question with that. What? When did you know this was you know your career path or mm. career career to go? To? When when did you figure it out? And and how did you take the steps to you know get to where you are within that? That's a good question. Um, so I originally thought I was gonna go into nursing or something in okay. healthcare. Yeah. Um, and I actually was tapped on by my mentors um, at my undergrad IUPUI that I should go into higher education. And I remember telling them like, no, y'all don't make any money. I'm going into high, you know, healthcare. Makes sense. Good. Yeah. So um, I was in student, con- you know, student government and we happened to go to a conference and I really was just feeling everything they were talking about. And uh, this epiphany just came over me, which is really the Holy Spirit. I'm a spiritual being, I'm a Christian. So you know that. Um, and God just told me, change your majors when you get back to school to sociology you'll graduate a year earlier and go into higher education and I did and I never looked back um I always have enjoyed being on the college campus but more so watching our students develop um from their parents model and identity to finding out who they are not only as a person but also professional it happened to me and I'm grateful that I had professors, faculty, staff that were able to invest in porn to me. And so I've always enjoyed doing that for students. Um, higher education is very important in yeah. America and across the world. Um, it's what shapes our leaders. And so not only do I get to stay young, but I get to really mold the next generation. And since I don't have any kids, they essentially become my kids. Yeah. And um, and I think that was necessary. You know, I think that a, it does take a village to raise a child. And we don't sometimes take the realization that we're still in learning mode of being a young mm, adult. And that yeah. takes folks to do that like myself for higher education. So um, on top of that, it, it's a science, you know, it is a social science. So what yeah. I do is a profession. Most of us are at the master level. And so I've been able to really um, improve my craft by being a part of my national organization, which is the National Association of uh, Student um, Personnel and Administrators called NASPA, where I've served on the regional and national level. I actually just got appointed to another regional position for a three-year term. Um, and they have been developing me since undergrad. I started in their under um, undergraduate multicultural programs, develop multicultural leaders in this field, and they have poured literally into me. Um, whenever I need a resume, whenever I need to present, whenever I need a job, they're there. Um, and a lot of them have became my friends. So really just making sure I do my work um, and going to school doing the best work I can, working with excellence, but also keeping abreast of what's going on in my field, yeah. staying very involved in my professional organizations and trusting God to kind of lead me into the next career. That's awesome. I really do think that's awesome. So how do you think currently um, working in the diversity, how is that shaped with different things that are going on in America, specifically um, Chicago land order, because we are at a higher... Chicagoland area, 
uh, even though Santiago not here no more, um, he already knows how it is, but just it's at a higher risk from, you know, poverty to um, crime. You know, right now we're seeing that Chicago is always on the news for higher crime rates. So how do you help those individuals who do come to the university from those like higher crime areas or poverty levels and things like that? Yeah, so to answer your first question, how things change. So I came in, I've never worked in diversity before this. And so I started January uh, 2020 and that was before literally the stuff hit the fan. Right. Um, and in diversity, what I was finding from a lot of my colleagues in the field is that we weren't being taken seriously regarding mm -hmm. diversity work. It did not help yeah. that we had administration that also just had an executive order to basically stop saying white power, you know, or white privilege, uh, to stop a lot of the training for diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, our last administration did that. So when April, you know, marching started hitting, we just had a little bit of uh, a bite in the game because people were starting to see our students that are under-resourced actually have a more divide um, when it comes to technology and food and shelter. So when yeah. a lot of us start asking our students to go back home, our students that have a place to go to, or like Javon, mm -hmm. King Javon was saying, is that you know a lot of our students were going back to places they really were trying to escape from. We're on the north side of Chicago. They were coming from the south side and the west side, you know, and to know not only that the poverty and crime levels were high, but they were only increasing because people were getting desperate. Yeah. But while our community of where we were, were thinking like, oh, this stuff just increased within COVID. No, this has always been here. It was just perpetuated yes. by the situation, right? Um, and then the Lloyd Floyd, as I call him, we had um, his uh, family come on campus and um, so they, they call him um, Lloyd. Um, but when he came to camp, when, I'm sorry, when George Floyd got killed, that's when we all of a sudden became important. We need to do trainings. We need you to vet our statements. We need you to be on every committee. Why? Because first you're black and we look good. So we get to say we have a black person on this committee. Yeah. But number two, you know what you're doing and we need to make sure we're not insensitive. And so I have been running 100 with the team that I oversee since then on educating and informing and, and being on committees and looking at stuff because now it's like diversity is now important when it always has been, you know. Um, so it's a great place to be in. It's a tough place to be in because there are more tough conversations, there's more work to be done, um, and there's still a fight. Just because everyone has diversity, equity, inclusion on their tongues doesn't mean they wanna do it. They just wanna write a statement and move on. Yeah. Um, but my big thing is, okay, you wrote a statement, so let's start to get on these tangible items that you wrote in a statement. Yeah. And so I'm really happy that I can work for an institution that you know we put out a statement in um, July, and here comes January where we're rolling out a five-year diversity initiative. So it's been interesting, but to help our students um, really getting to know where, who they are, um, where they, and where they are. So meeting a student mm. where they are is what we always talk about in higher education of like not assuming that they came from 
the worst school, you know, and, and most impoverished without books and resources. Like you are going to have your Black Latinx scholar and you also are going to have your under um, a serve student mm. trying to make sure yeah. that we have left leverage, which was equity, equity to make sure that they have the same opportunities, uh, access to higher education and that they can both be successful. Now, getting there might mean different tools that need to be implemented and different kind of support, but we still can do that for both. So it's really just trying to figure out um, the profile of that student, where they came from, listening to them, seeing where they want to go, and kind of leading from there. You touched on some um, earlier uh, prior to uh, Javon's uh, question. And, uh, you mean the primary host? Yeah, he is whatever he wants to call himself. <laughs> I'm not going to call him, but he's my boy still. But um, you touched on something regarding, um, you know, helping students get out of, you know, what their parents or somebody else has told them they were. What are some, you know, things that you realize that maybe you can help some of our listeners who, you know, are, you know, current parents or, you know, even work in, work with students to some degree that it can help them mold their minds or, you know, shape their minds earlier for, to, to know their identity earlier. What are some things that you've noticed that, that could help them? I have a friend that right now is teaching me like, just follow the process. And I appreciate that because number one, you gotta know how to understand that student's identity and what do they wanna do? Do they wanna go into that career because you have pushed them to that career or is that something that they're passionate about? Hmm. Speak to them about their passions. Speak to them about adulting. Speak to them about finding something they love and falling into that. Talk to them about exploring different aspects. Our students are gonna change their major on average six times before settling into a major that they're passionate in. It's okay to explore. Look yeah. at internships, let's do shadowing. Let me as a parent introduce you to folks that I might know or my different um, networks might know that are in that particular field. Um, those are things that I feel like our students need right now. I feel like they're really being pushed towards what's going to pay, what's going to pay, what's the degree that's going to do something, you know? And it's like, at the end of the day, are they happy? And also the biggest conversation of, they are, of them all, are you college potential? Are you vocational potential? Mm. Are you an entrepreneur? You know, everybody shouldn't go to college. And I'm saying that and taking money out my mouth, right? But there's some folks that have there that make really good money that don't ever go to college, that have their own business or is in vocation. And yes. I don't think enough parents are really spending time with their children on vocation and what that looks like and the savings and the benefits. And then also talking to their children about if you do want to go to college, what does that look like? you know, maybe spending two years in a community college to just get those basics, especially if you want to go into liberal arts degree and then coming over to a four-year in, uh, institution to finish the other two, number one, to save loans, but also being at a prestigious institution 
that you like that has what you need um, to support you so that you can get into the career fair of your choice um, and stay in that major. So I don't think we have a lot of conversations with our students. It's basically like go to college, that's the expectation. Hope you can pay for it. You know, hope you're doing something that makes you money. But what are they passionate about? What do they really want to do? Because we all know or have been in places where we don't like going to work and then you have to get more education or just wing it. You know, why, why set our students up for that when we can really provide them with resources and information that we know? And so I don't think vocation and entrepreneurship is, is talked about enough and also letting our students being able to explore and, and consider their passions in all of them, regardless if we support them or not, regardless if they're going to make money or not. And I definitely agree with the with, with that specific vocational because even um, I'm sure we all can attest to even in high school it was like okay after school what college are you going to college essays college this college 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 it wasn't okay do you even want to go to college do do you have to what do you want to do it was it wasn't I don't think I've ever been asked maybe once maybe once or twice. And I'm sorry to cut you off. And also to bring you up, military. Oh, That's yeah. a whole nother route. You know, like. And, and, and it is. And it is. And it, it's a route that can also, you know, provide it, you know, everything goes as you as you instructed. Because I do have friends who unfortunately didn't get to the point where to, they could go to college afterwards. But um, as long as everything goes on, you can go to college after. You know, take some time off, travel, see, um, you know you might even figure out, you know what, I like this, this works for me. And that doesn't, the thing that I wish I really would have realized when I was younger is that college, there was more options than just college. Because for me, you know, my mindset was, oh, well, I don't want to work for somebody for the rest of my life, because that's just not who I am. And you know, every, you know, everybody has their own goals. Some people want to start low, and get up to CEO. There's nothing wrong with that. Some people want to start, learn what they can, then go start their own business. There's nothing wrong with that. And some people don't want to go to college. They want to do this or that. I don't have anything wrong with that. But it's just hard and difficult, especially as somebody that grew up in, you know, in different, you know, continents at times. America is very just linear in how your life is supposed to be. Oh, Okay, so you're 16, get your driver's license. You're 18, okay, you're out of school now. You need to be done with college. You figure out how to pay for it, pay for your student loans and stuff like that. Oh, you're whining about loans you had to take out because you only got a $40,000 a year paying job. Whatever, figure it out. But we don't take the time, at least in my experience, it might be a little different now. I haven't been in high school in years where we don't show different avenues. Like, hey, you ever thought about a vocational or trade school? You ever, there's nothing wrong with that. And the crazy thing is, from what I've noticed in research that I've done, and, you know, even talking to friends in different countries, trade schools actually pushed almost more or as much as colleges. Because a lot of other countries have realized like, hey, tr we need people with trades. So I, I really like that and admire that there, there, there's people out there who are trying to, you know, showcase look, here is a plethora of everything you could do in adulthood. You can't do nothing, but you don't have to go right. to college. You can't just sit there and do nothing, but you don't have to go to college.